Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julia Spare's Moving Markets podcast. It's Tuesday, the 19th of September, and my name is Helen Freer. On today's show, I'll be talking about the latest market news with Bernadette and Derko. And I'm also joined this morning by our head of fixed income research, Marcus Allensbach. So I'll be asking him all about fixed income markets. But let's start with the market news. Good morning, Bernadette. Good morning, Helen. So we mentioned it on the show yesterday. It's a big central bank week this week with the Fed meeting tomorrow. How are markets faring ahead of this? Oh, well, Helen, uh, European markets closed sharply lower yesterday as investors are clearly mulling these upcoming central bank decisions. And they're obviously on guard following the ECB's 25 basis point hike last week. The pan-European stock 600 index fell more than 1% yesterday to close with all sectors in uh, negative territory. Real estate, healthcare and consumer discretionary led the losses there. And what about in the US? I'm afraid it was a similar story there. Wall Street uh, closed down. Little change, to be honest, as market participants there are also weighing up what the Fed's going to do tomorrow. Um, Although there's a broad expectation that rates will be left unchanged at this meeting, Um, all three US stock indices ended a choppy session with just nominal gains. Um, Interestingly, after this meeting tomorrow, the Federal Open Markets Committee is also due to release its quarterly summary of economic projections, which will include the famous dot plot, uh, you know, that glimpse into participating members' expectations regarding the future path of interest rates. I think the two main questions that markets will be looking for answers to here are whether policymakers are going to retain their projections for just one more uh, 25 basis point hike before the end of this year, and then how much easing they're anticipating for in 2024. Um, In June, they projected that there would be one whole percentage point of cuts uh, next year. Okay. And how did other asset classes fare? Yeah, well, the the dollar edged higher against most of its major peers. Treasuries were little changed. Uh, The yuan uh, weakened against the US dollar. Gold finished up just uh, 0.4%. Bitcoin futures were up shy of 2%, but off their best levels. And WTI crude was up 0.6%. And this recent rally in oil prices has been good news for energy stocks. For example, this morning, we saw shares of Asian energy producers like Woodside and Impex uh, rising. And just as a reminder, Brent oil has now exceeded $95 per barrel for the first time since November last year. And of course, this now raises risks to inflationary pressures, which, as we know, are key issues amongst these central bankers. And what about Asian markets today, then? Are they as reticent to rally as Europe and the US? Yeah, I'm afraid that is the same story there. When I look at the Asian indices board, I think when I last looked, with the exception of Jakarta, everything in Asia Pacific is in the red this morning. Um, It's not so much the Fed concerning investors here, though, as China's stuttering economic recovery. And equities also dropped in Japan and Australia, although in Australia they clawed back some of their losses after central bank minutes showed a higher hurdle for further tightening. Japan, of course, faces the prospect of its own central bank meeting on Friday. Company-wise, there was positive news from developers country, Garden Holdings Company and Sunak China Holdings Limited, but that failed to lift uh, sentiment. So just the news there, Country Garden won bondholder approval on the last of a batch of eight local notes that it's seeking to extend repayments on, while Sunak has secured creditors' approval on its debt restructuring scheme. Okay, thanks, Bernadette. And are there any other highlights you want to share? 
Yeah, I mean, well, I saw that uh, US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was in the news yesterday. She said at a conference that she sees no signs that the US economy is entering a downturn. But she did warn that failure by Congress to pass legislation to keep the government running risks a slowing momentum in the economy. She said that she doesn't see any signs that the economy is at risk of a downturn, um, but the labour market is strong um, and inflation is coming down. She says there's no reason for a shutdown and creating a situation that could cause a loss of momentum is something that they clearly don't need as a risk at this point. Um, She also added that it's premature to gauge the impact of this strike by the United Auto Workers against the big three Detroit car makers at the moment. And also in the news, just on the geopolitical front, um, India has rejected the allegations made by the Canadian Prime Minister that its government agents were behind the assassination of a prominent Sikh leader in Canada. That's something that has risked worsening ties between India and Canada. Um, President Trudeau did say that there were credible allegations of India's involvement yesterday in the House of Commons. But we'll just have to wait to see how that story unfolds now. Okay, and what about today? Anything we need to watch out for that we have prior knowledge of anyway? Yeah, um, so from a data point, the OECD releases interim economic outlook report on the global economy. We have Eurozone CPI and in the US there will be housing starts. And that's the data for today. Plenty more for the rest of the week, but we'll deal with that on a day by day basis, I think. And how are markets set to open today? I'm afraid it looks like uh, more of the same waiting game today, Helen. The futures boards for the globe are red, but there's nothing dramatic expected. It'll just be a waiting for the Fed type of day, I suspect. I mean, at least that's what I hope. (laughs) Very good. Thank you very much, Bernadette, for the summary this morning. Oh, thanks for having me on, Helen. Now, moving on to fixed income. Marcus, good morning. Good morning, Helen. Now, we have key central bank meetings almost every day this week, but for you, fiscal policy is more important at the moment than monetary policy, right? Can you talk a little bit, first of all, about why that is? Yes, of course, Helen. U.S. fiscal policy is the elephant in the room. Just think about it. Last year, the Congressional Budget Office expected the budget deficit to shrink to 3.8%. And we all were aware of the debt ceiling, so we thought it's a fiscal cliff in the US. So there would be less spending and a recession risk. And what we got is now an official estimate of a budget deficit of 7.9%, so 4% more deficit. And some private estimates go even to 8.5% for the current fiscal year. If you have 5% more spending, first of all, it means a stronger economy because there was more money to be spent by the households who got more social spending, more transfer payments. Second point means much more supply than we expected, much more treasuries bonds to be sold to finance this shortfall. That was the really, really negative surprise for the treasury market this year, the fiscal policy. In the Eurozone, we always talked about the risk of a fiscal cliff because we need to reform the Growth and Stability Pact. Without a reform of the Growth and Stability Pact, the member countries are forced, starting next year, to bring down the budget deficit to this famous 3% and also to work down the government debt level to 60% over 20-year horizon. That was pretty restrictive. So we have this fiscal stimulus in the US and always this sort of Damocles of this growth and stability pact in Europe. 
And I understand that these are two opposing developments. So fiscal stimulus in an economy with full employment in the US and a fiscal drag in the Eurozone where a recession is knocking on the door. So what should we expect then? First, the positive news. On Saturday, there was a meeting of the EU finance minister and they gave very positive signals. It's too early to open the bottle of champagne in Spain or Frizzante in Rome, but it looks like we got a compromise more a dynamic target setting. So rather than bring down the deficit to 3%, you have to show a plan how you over the next five years work it down and not to work down the debt to GDP ratio to 60% over 20 years, but to have a plan how to have it lower over five years than at the beginning and maybe something like 0.5% debt reduction per year but excluding spending for productive investments for energy transition. So that's pretty good. You know, we like peripheral debt. And if it's materialized, this reform of the growth and stability pact would be really positive for growth and peripheral debt. In the US, uh, Bernadette mentioned it. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, has warned by the end of the month, we need a budget deal. So that's pretty Pretty little time, but you know, the US politicians, they trend to have an agreement only in the very last minute. Only then they can tell the voters, hey, I've been fighting very hard and I was negotiating until the very last minute. So don't expect anything before 30th of September, maybe 1st of October, and maybe a small government shutdown. So The jury is still out here what happens. The Democrats have already appropriated some spending bills for 1.5% more deficit, 1.5% more of GDP, more money for social spending, for infrastructure, for education. And we have the Republicans in the House saying they want to have cuts in social spending. So it's really open and That means the central bank in the US doesn't know what kind of fiscal impulse it has to master. So they need a lot of flexibility. So you should keep flexibility. So stay in quality bonds to keep your powder dry to react whatever comes on the fiscal side in the US. Okay, so for once then, we have better fiscal impulses in the Eurozone than in the US. And we all know about Powell's comment that we take fiscal policy as it arrives at the front door, i.e. he's not giving political advice, but will take the measures he believes are necessary to correct any fiscal mistakes. This sounds very good in theory, um, but what about in reality? What's the bond market expecting tomorrow? Yes, also Bernadette has mentioned it. In the dots we got in June, they had two rate hikes penciled in. So far, they have delivered one. The key question is whether they are adjusting the dots or not. Of course, there are a lot of people within the Fed saying that an adjustment of the dots would be sending a premature easing signal to the market. But it would be very logical to adjust the dots. Say It's more in line with this high and longer scenario. So, It's a really communication challenge for the Federal Reserve. And you know that uh, Powell said it in the past time and again, the members are setting the lots independently. So you don't know about the group dynamic here. So it's very open. Again, 
The Fed needs a lot of room to react on the fiscal policy and you should keep your room to react with quality bonds. So again, we are still favoring quality. We are still favoring duration risk over credit risk. We still favor quality bonds, which are delivering a quite decent real bond yield at this juncture. Okay, so you're sticking to your call for quality then, despite the very strong performance of riskier bonds. Talking of riskier bonds, are you staying neutral on emerging market bonds when there's a chance the Fed might lower the dots? Yes, uh, Helen, we are staying neutral. Bernadette mentioned it, the oil price approaching last year's peak rates. That's good for the Middle East, but Middle East bonds are pretty expensive already now and it's pretty bad for the majority of the emerging market economies. They are net oil importers. Secondly, we have this uncertainty about the Fed outlook. So there's a risk premium on, on treasuries. But at the same time, we have the recession signals we said at the very beginning in the Eurozone. So the chances are higher to see rate cuts in Europe than in the US. That's supportive for the US dollar. And the strong dollar is also a headwind for emerging market bonds. So we stay neutral on emerging market bonds. Great. Thanks very much, Marcus. That was very comprehensive. Great to have you on the podcast this morning. Thanks for having me, Helen, and have a great day. And that is all for today. Thank you again to my guest this morning, and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe, and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We would love to hear your feedback. And do join us again tomorrow when Bernadette will be back, but as your host this time, and she'll be speaking to more of our colleagues, including David Cole, our Chief Economist. So do join us then. Have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer, we would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.